We are still in the Sermon on the Mount this week. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew, and I'm going to start with verse 19 and go through verse 24. This is Jesus talking to the crowds that gathered. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a couple of weeks ago at the end of dinner, uh, the question was asked at our dinner table, what would you grab on the way out of the house if the house was on fire? So I immediately jumped up and to show my children two different things that I would want them to grab if they had a chance if the house was on fire. One is a mosaic that depicts four different seasons in a year made by a friend. And the other is a figurine. It's a shepherdess that my grandmother gave to me. And both have backstories. The mosaic reminds me of a very intense year that a friend and I journeyed together. And we both grew emotionally and spiritually more than a typical calendar year usually allows. So it's a reminder that someone knows me very well and sees me very clearly. The shepherdess, the shepherdess is originally from my grandmother's house. I can remember it sitting on a shelf when I was a child. And my grandmother and I loved each other very well. But there was this one time when we had a very tense conversation. I was about 20 years old when she told me that I couldn't be a pastor because I was a girl, and that's what the Bible said. Several months later, she said, you know, Dinah, I've been thinking about it. You should go to seminary. I've been talking to my Sunday school class. Okay, they were all women because she was in a Southern Baptist church. I've been talking to my Sunday school class, and that's what you are being called to do. I changed my mind. You'd be a good minister. Go to seminary. And then a few years before she died, before she passed away, she gave me that figurine, that girl holding the sheep, and I now have it at my house. So those are two of my treasures. I have other treasures, uh, my children, my husband. I have a brand new niece born this week. Her name is Esther Janet. So my nieces and nephews, I treasure them. Um, I have some Bibles and some books that I put in a very particular place on my desk or on the shelves next to my desk. I want to know where they are at all times. I do have a bathtub that's pretty awesome, and then the list kind of goes downhill from there. I have some clothes and shoes that I'm probably not going to loan you. There's a particular kind of coffee creamer that I like to know is always in my refrigerator. And I've discovered this moisturizer that I have on regular delivery to my house. I treasure that. So here's what I want you to know up front. 
We all have treasures and we all treasure. Dallas Willard, in his role as philosopher, helped me on this subject. He wrote that treasures are things that we keep or that we protect because of the value that we've placed on them. They don't have to be material goods. They could be, treasures could be, and they are for me, things like security, relationships, my reputation, people. To treasure something or to treasure someone makes us essentially human. It's a part of what we do as human beings, treasure things and people and concepts. Nothing degrades people more than to destroy what they treasure. Consider the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. They are repulsive to us because they were places where people were treated as less than human. And one of the first steps that where dehumanization took place was to remove individuals from what they treasured, from the things and the family and the community that they valued. Treasures are directly connected to the space in our being that Dallas Willard said was central to us. He called it the executive space. It was where we make decisions, he wrote, but it is also the place where we create, where we initiate. So Willard said that this space that is central in each person is where the likeness of God resides. It's where the image of God rests. So you might remember that when Dallas Willard taught about personhood, he would draw concentric circles. And the very core of those concentric circles, the very center place of those concentric circles, was he referred to as the will or the heart. And that's where he said treasure resides. That's where what we treasure rests. It's a very intimate place. It's a very deep place. And you probably don't reveal it very often. It's more likely that a child is going to tell you what they treasure than an adult is going to tell you what they treasure. You know, I can remember with all three of my children what the thing was that we had to have everywhere we went, the thing that that child treasured. We still have a blankie that one of my children treasured that's just practically threadbare. There was a stuffed animal that another child treasured that we washed so many times that it doesn't look, even look like a bear anymore. And then two of my children had pacifiers or binkies that we had to take with us wherever we went. And I can remember when Daniel got to the age where we convinced him that it was that he wanted to give that binky up. He decided that he would only give the pacifier to a cow. So I had to find a friend with a farm that had a piece of land where there were cows. And then I drove my little minivan outside of San Antonio to the country. And I drove out on the pasture and I rolled the window down and he threw the binky out the window to the bull. (laughs) I now know that it is important that we respect the treasure space of children. I'm not so sure that I always did that well. With my kids, that it is a very valuable, deep place, and we want for it to be well formed. It's a good thing for children to treasure well. 
I can remember keeping uh, one of my twin nephews when he was about three years old for a night and his brother was in the hospital. And I went when I went to put him in bed, he got really upset. And I said to him, you know, your parents, I know you miss your parents. They're going to be here when you wake up. And he said back to me, I don't miss my parents. <laughs> it's my brother that I want to be with. <laughs> so I don't know what I said at the time, but I hope that because he was brave enough to tell me what he really treasured, I hope that I told him that that's a really good thing to treasure, to treasure your sibling, your brother or your sister. That's a good place to put value. So don't hear Jesus' words in this passage as saying that you are wrong to treasure or you are wrong to place value on something or someone. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Instead, what Jesus is saying is to be careful. Be careful what we attach value to. It's a really deep place inside of us, and it determines our character, and it determines how we interact with the world around us. So, in his words of caution about being careful what we place value on, he then gives three different word pictures or three images to help guide us as we're deciding what to place value upon. The first word picture that he gives, I'm going to call storage space. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and consume and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Okay, so treasure a car. Well, it's not going to be around forever, right? And it's not going to love you back. But treasure a friend, that goes in the other storage space, and that is, in fact, a good investment. One morning this week, um, I witnessed a one-car collision between a car and a post that was mounted upon a cement block. So the car didn't fare very well, but the cement block it held up great. Uh, others who were there with me all reached, we all reached a similar conclusion. The car, which was no longer drivable but replaceable, was turned off, we put it in park, we turned it off, and we left it where it was, pieces strewn about everywhere for the tow truck to come and get. The driver, who was shaken up, but she got out of the car, um, physically unharmed, deserved our immediate and focused attention. So all of us who witnessed the wreck, there were about four or five of us, we all walked away from the car to the person. In a moment of crisis, we knew the truth. We knew which was the better investment. Two storage spaces, one that doesn't much last, things are easily and eventually destroyed, and another space, another storage space that holds what is truly valuable. And people are truly valuable. They are a good place for us to, to treasure. They are a good place for us to attach value to. Um, when you push this metaphor a little bit more, I think you see that the second storage space, which is the kingdom of heaven, the second storage and storage space makes investments. So what you put there grows. I have been told that Dallas Willard said about delivering treasures to heaven, he said this to a class that he taught, FedEx doesn't deliver there, so you can't ship anything to the kingdom of heaven, and email don't go there. And then he said, or at least I hope that they don't. 
(laughs) And remember, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, is simply God's space. So God's space exists in part here and now in and around each of us, and it exists in full later. It exists in full when we die. Um, I don't know that I've ever had an email or a tweet or a blog get through to that God space that exists inside of me or beside me. The actual conversations, time with people, the beauty of creation and the creatures, art and music and strong, clear thought, even laughter, things, anything that connects me to God or to God's people, those are good investments. Don't invest much time or energy or money into the other stuff. It just isn't worth it, is Jesus' advice. The second picture after storage spaces is a bit confusing uh, because it it uses a phrase uh, in Greek that Jesus probably taught in Aramaic that we no longer use. We do use this phrase, but we understand it a different way. So the second image is about an eye, a good eye or a bad eye. So 2,000 years ago, people understood eyes to work a little bit differently than we do now. Now when we talk about an eye, we talk about an eye letting light into the body. But 2,000 years ago, people talked about eyes letting light out of the body. So that's the same. The eye is a window to the soul, right? So the eye could reveal what was really going on deep in a person. Okay, now for for the saying, now for the idiom. Um, here's the idiom. It, it sounds like this. If I were to say to you, he has a good eye. What is? What do you hear when I tell you that 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 the boy has a good eye? I hear it all the time at the ballpark. It means that he's paying attention, right? That he's very attentive. That's how we hear it. Well, that's not how the followers of Jesus would have heard he has a good eye. To say that someone has a good eye meant that they were generous, that they were full of generosity. So if you were looking at the Little League ballpark, you wouldn't say that it's the baseball players that have a good eye, but you would instead say it's the parents. It's the grandparents, it's the friends who invest their time and their energy and their money so generously. Those are the people at the Little League ballpark with a good eye. So here's how I want you to hear those verses about an eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if you have a good eye, you're generous, your whole being will be full of light. But if you have an evil eye, you're stingy. Your whole body will be full of darkness. Do you bless others or curse others with your resources? Consider your eye. Is it good? Does it let the light out of your life? Does it generously bless other people? Or is it an evil eye? Is it constricted? Is it shriveled? Does it curse those who are around you? And then the third image. So we have two storage spaces. We have two eyes. And the third image is two masters. The final image that we are to consider. Martin Lindstrom did some interesting research scanning the brains of people of faith. First, he had them recall and relate experiences where they felt close to God. So prayer 
or worship tell that story and he scanned their brains to see what lit up. And then he exposed them to sights and smells that connected people to God and sounds. So uh, worship music, a cross, maybe some incense. And he scanned their brains to see what part of the brain lit up. Same part of the brain. But the third scan is the most interesting. The third scan that he did happened while subjects were shown material possessions with strong brands. So he showed him Harley Davidson. He showed him Apple. He showed him Ferrari. And you know what? The brains registered the very same activity. There was no discernible difference between the way the brain reacted to powerful brands and the way the brain reacted to religious images or religious experiences. So then Jesus' question Who do you serve? Who do you call master? Jesus gives us a clue years before Lindstrom's research was done by teaching, one is a God of freedom and the other is a God of slavery. The truth of the matter is that Yahweh is a God of freedom and Yahweh allows us to play both games. Yahweh allows us to deposit In both storehouses, he allows us to move from a place of generosity or not. And we are allowed to serve wealth and we are allowed to be free. I think these are not so much dualistic worldviews as in we do one or the other, completely one or the other, as much as they are cautionary opposites that we are to consider to watch ourselves and the ways that we move. One is a way of freedom and one is a way of slavery and fear. In the very next next passage, Jesus will say to those who have gathered to hear his teaching, do not worry. He says, do not worry about what you're going to wear. Do not worry about what you will eat. Do not even worry about tomorrow. James Bryan Smith has an interesting observation about how God provides for human needs. Not by dropping money from the sky. Not by magically depositing money into our bank accounts. But God allows for us not to worry and provides for our needs by working through other people. So every time, every time that we give with wisdom and discernment, We participate in the kingdom of heaven. We participate in bringing God's truth to light. We participate in that very act of provision. Jesus gave everything, everything that he had with wisdom and discernment. And on the night before he gave himself up for us, he gathered his disciples To give them not a book or a blog or a dissertation or a great sermon, but Jesus gathered to give them an experience. It was an experience of the Passover meal where they would remember the sacrifice that he made for them that would in turn give them life and freedom. He took bread and broke the bread gave thanks to the Father, gave it to his disciples, and said, eat from this. 
This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Almighty God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup. Make it be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would those who are serving communion come forward at this time? We will uh, serve communion this morning by intinction, which means that you'll be given a piece of bread, and then you'll take that bread, dip it in the cup before you place it in your mouth. And I'm going to ask that you will all come down the center aisle and then return uh, to your seats um, however you choose. (laughs) This uh, table is set, and our hearts are prepared. Won't you come and celebrate this sacrament, this sacrament that provides life and inspiration.